Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Osei Sankofa, and you're listening to the Kick It Out cast, the official podcast of Kick It Out, tackling racism and discrimination in football for 25 years. Given the rise of anti-Semitic incidents in football, what are the experiences of our Jewish players? In this edition of the Kick It Outcast, I speak to two men who are enjoying their careers at different levels of the game. No, I think winning the Conference South was fantastic in 2011. I think it's not often as a player you get to win leagues, so whatever league you win, it's something to kind of cherish. Um, so I think that's got to be up there. I think we played against Arsenal in the FA Youth Cup, signing pro. I think there's been a couple, couple to date, to be fair. But um, I'd say definitely winning the league as well. That's Scott Shelton talking about his impressive career in the semi-professional game. We'll find out a bit more about Scott's life and upbringing later. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him was because of what happened one January afternoon in Essex. Look, I'm not a shy player. So in terms of my playing, my game is about, you know... As a midfielder, being being aggressive, being in your face, that's sort of my game at times. Playing against everyone who I know, and these are boys I played with at Braintree and at Enfield as well, because the whole squad moved, well, I say the whole squad, most of the squad went from Enfield to Braintree in the summer. So I knew the management, I knew all the players. So for me, it was a... It was a funny one. My gaffer at the time pulled me aside before the game and said, don't let it get to you. It's a game. Just concentrate on yourself. You know, just play your normal game. Um, the importance of the game, both teams were up there. Both teams were fighting for playoffs at the time. So it was an important game for both teams. Um, and more than anything, for me, it was just, I just treated it as a normal game. We'll return to that match later. It was one that had quite an effect on Scott and was followed closely by Jewish players up and down the country. I met Joe when I was leaving Wickham and I was just talking, I was in between Cubs, so I used to speak to him quite a bit. Um, and, and Scotty at Wickham as well now, I coached. I coached when he was 17. So for me, I was fortunate because I actually know these boys personally. I'm sure there's others. I know there's Miles, Miles was playing. Miles Anderson was play, is playing for, he was playing in the conference for National. Um, and I'm sure there's others, to be honest. There's, there's others that are probably under the radar and, and things like that. So I've been in a fortunate position where I know these boys. The Joe Scott was referring to. Hi, I'm Joe Jacobson and you're listening to the Kick It Outcast. Joe, like Scott, has been and is a great servant of the game. Growing up in Cardiff, I'm, I'm a Cardiff boy, I was a Cardiff fan growing up. used to go and watch him and um, I joined the club, I think, at the age of nine. Um, all the way through until 
left school at 16, stayed there, um, managed to, to make my debut there at 19, I think. Um, had only a couple of appearances in the first team, went on loan a couple of times and really just loved playing football then. It was a case of I could have stayed, I still had a year left on my contract and, you know, I, I went on loan to Bristol Rovers um, in League Two. We got promoted to League One. They offered me a contract to stay with them and and for me it was just about playing football so I left Cardiff and and had you know a couple of years at Bristol Rovers which was which was really good we had some great highs and fortunately the contract came to an end and um, I moved up to to Oldham um, didn't have the best couple of years there where I got injured in pre-season couldn't get back fit really and um, didn't seem to fit in up there with the, with the team and the manager at the time and played a handful of games um, in the first year, ended up having to have a couple of operations at the end of the season to sort myself out. Came back the second year, new manager, Paul Dickoff took over, who I really got on with, um, really liked the guy. Um, but unfortunately, they, they pulled, I think, five or six of us in and said, look, we've, we've got to go, we've got to let you go, um, try and find another club, um, which... You know these things happen in football, but you know fair play to to the gaffer there at the time. He he kind of you know let me be involved a little bit, um, and it came to a point where it was kind of forced that we had to to get out really. And um, I ended up going on loan to Accrington. I'd been there um, previously when I was at Cardiff, um, and we had another good end to the season where we finished in the playoffs. Unfortunately, we didn't do that. And that brought upon a move to Shrewsbury, which for me at the time, I thought was um, a really good move for me. Um, moved to the area, loved living in Shrewsbury, great town. Um, and we had a great season. We got promoted and, and then had a couple of years in League One where we had to kind of survive a bit, probably on a low budget compared to most teams in the league at the time. And unfortunately, we got relegated in the second year. Um, again, my contract came to an end and, and I found myself at Wickham and this has been my um, my fifth season here at Wickham. We we managed to, to keep up to date with our plan that we wanted to get promoted within four years of the five-year plan. We did that and um, hopefully we can have another successful season this year. Just going back to, I think it was April 2006 when you made your professional debut, what was the reaction like when you obviously became the first Jewish professional footballer to play in, I think, 25 years? Yeah, I didn't have a clue at the time. <laughs> um I remember someone getting in contact with me. I can't, I can't remember who it was, and said, "You know, you're the first Jewish player, British Jewish player, to play in the football league 25." I think Barry Silkman was the last guy at the time, and it was um, it was something I never really thought about. I never thought, you know, why there hadn't been more. And then people started asking me questions: Why not? Why hasn't there been so many in between? And, and it's a difficult one to answer. But for me, I was just a kid desperate to play football. Religion for me at the time was nothing. There was nothing you know stopping me there was nothing um you know being Jewish that that had an effect on me at that time and um I was just very proud to have made my my football league debut so there's our players Scott Shulton and Joe Jacobson united by an ability to play and a love for the game and of course by their faith uh, I wouldn't say we were religious we we're a traditional family we were brought up orthodox Jews so um we used to go to synagogue most weekends if we could um on a Saturday morning, depending on football. Um, and I used to go to the Sunday school uh, twice a week and um, I was brought up with the values and we'd have our, um, on Friday night, we'd have our, our family meal together. It was, when we were kids, we were never allowed to do anything on a Friday night. It was always family time and um, it wasn't 
to do anything religious it was just to have it, that was our tradition as a family and sure. um you know I, I really like that and I like the values of it and um yeah we used I was brought up I had a bar mitzvah um and then as the years have gone by I've probably done less and less just because of um a football it's uh it's very demanding obviously on the weekend we, we play games on Saturday so it's very difficult to to do things but Every now and again, if I can go along to a to a synagogue on festival days or things like that, I st I'll still try to. Yeah. Look, my mum's family are quite orthodox. Um, my dad's family not so much. So so I had a kind of mix because when we used to spend a lot of time in my mum's side, they used to obviously follow everything um, and are really religious. And then we used to spend time on my dad's side that wasn't too much. So look, I went to two two Jewish schools. I went to primary and secondary school, both Jewish. Uh, outside of that, really, I was playing football, and it was always in a non-Jewish environment. So for me, the kind of the Jewish side of it was all in school. Growing up in, in Cardiff, there'd be a massive group of the—I mean, it's only a small congregation that ever went to the synagogue, but probably 10 or 20 percent of them would end up being at Ninian Park at Cardiff City Stadium at the, in the afternoon, which would um, which would be quite funny. But um, it, from what I gather, there's so every Jewish person I've come across. They they love football. There's especially now moving to to Watford. Um, I've got family in North London as well, and all my family they've always been brought up at football and things like that. So there's a lot of people that are involved in football behind the scenes, Jewish people, but not so much on the playing side of it. We've got 70 kids here playing every day. So we've got 70 kids here playing today at camp. Uh, we've got 400 kids. I'd say 70% of them are all Jewish in sessions and in teams um, throughout the week. So it's definitely popular. 15, 20, 15, 20 years ago, before I, I started playing, I think there was there was probably no one for any of these, you know, young Jewish boys to to look up to and think, well, is there a pathway for me to to get through to the game? Um, especially in London, there's um, there's Jewish football leagues where where the boys play. Whether or not their scouts turn up to these games or not, I don't know. Um, so for me, there was no, growing up in Cardiff, it, there wasn't any of that. It was just you play, you know, parks football. Um, I played for a team that was probably one of the better teams in, in Cardiff and that got me looked at to, to go and play for Cardiff so um, there was that that route and maybe there isn't or hasn't been a route in the past for, for Jewish uh, boys and especially in London where the biggest community is so um, you know maybe they'll they'll look at, at me and the others who have made it in the game have, have managed to, to have a career in the game and think there's there's a great possibility of that happening if you're good enough. For me it was more drive so it kind of drove me more because there wasn't many kids at school who, who played at a pro club you know so I know that there was there was Dean Furman who was in the year above me and there was another boy uh, Dominic who was also at Barnet at the time but outside of that there wasn't many of us who were at pro clubs so for me it was nice because it gave me that drive to be like the only kid really at school who was at a professional football club. So far so good. Two promising players growing up and making their way in the game. But how are they both dealing with what's often described or even dismissed as dressing room banter? There's times where in a, in, a, in a football dressing room we have a bit of banter, you know, that's, that's part and parcel of the dressing room and that's never really been ever stepped over. Um, there's things you say to each other's like to your teammates in the change room that's kind of that, that's a bit of a laugh and it's never been to the point where it's never been accepted I've never had that problem um, so for me it's always been something I've always said and, and it's, it's always been fine there's still definitely a, a threat there it's whether or not people know about it probably not I don't think there's um, enough said I think that, that people know there's anti-Semitism in football but not necessarily it's the main discrimination that they look at. Um, so it's, it's difficult to kind of 
to put things out there. I'm, some of the, um, I don't think, it's difficult to say, I don't think any players have come out recently and said they've suffered abuse, but I think, you know, there's there's obviously stuff that's happened at Chelsea, I think, in, in the past, and um, Tottenham, I know, get it, you know, quite a bit from away fans where um, other fans chant at them, and I don't know whether it's, um, it's, anything too much has been done about it I'll, I'll, I'll say that and uh, and whether that's people knowing about it too much or, or it's just one of those things where people don't really want to talk about it Let's go back to the match between Scott's Hemel Hempstead and his former club Braintree in January of last year So I, in the first five, six seconds I remember getting smashed in a tackle and, and then ripping the bottom of my sock because he left one on me and at the end of the day in, in football you get the time to there's certain times in the game where you can get away with things and, and that's one of them. So I, they're a freebie, really. I saw it as a freebie on me early doors <laughs> to put one on me. But, but that's kind of expected. You know, little things like just saying things back and forth to each other. But to be fair, outside of that, there was nothing really at that time in the game. Look, I had four or five tackles put on me. Yeah. But I was expecting that. I knew the manager would have told players to do it before the game um, because it's natural when you normally come up against any former player who's played under a manager normally something will be said that they've got a player on the opposition team that they make sure someone puts one on him early doors or let him know he's in for a game you know it's part and parcel of it so so for me it was it was normal to be to be kind of tackled in that way no, nothing was dirty nothing was uh, over the top it was it was one of them where for me it was just a, a typical game so a feisty match as you'd expect but when a Braintree player called Scott an effing Jew, things understandably changed. Do you know what? It's the first time it's ever happened on a football pitch. Um, so I was shocked. I wasn't expecting it. If I probably would have said any player I played with, I wouldn't have been expecting it um, from him, especially it being a midfield partner who I'd played with for probably about 40, 50 games as my midfield partner. Um... Oh, for me, it kind of just made me take a step back massively and think, you know, if, if is that after the game, is like, what were you thinking of me the whole time you were playing with me? You know, to be able to come out with that in a game and say it to a teammate, whether it be a former teammate or a teammate, you know, it, it kind of made me take a big step back. Sure. What was it like to play on, you know, after that, you know, under your skin? Look, I lost my head. <laughs> I lost my head big time. Um, I grabbed him. I grabbed him. I grabbed him by his throat afterwards, like, as the actual initial incident itself. Um, and in my eyes, in my eyes, I was really, I was waiting for one tackle where I could, in effect, be able to go and to go and put a tackle in, um, not to go and hurt him, but to make sure that I was able to win the ball fairly in a strong tackle. Um, my focus went it was one all as well so it was important there was like 20 minutes left um, and to be fair the manager took me off of about 15 minutes ago which was probably the best thing sure yeah how do you feel about it now what, seven eight months on it still it still shocked me look the FA decision was back end of the season so off season uh, so it wasn't too long ago it was a couple of months ago that dragged out for me you know it we, we, I think we come to a conclusion in June when it happened in Jan, as you said. Um, so, so yeah, looking back on it, it's something that you kind of put put it to the back of your mind. It's gone now. Like it's been dealt with. Like the FA looked into it and dealt with it accordingly. So it's one we, where everyone can then move on. No, I've never experienced anything. Luckily, I've I've had a few um, things in change rooms where the boys will, you know, say 
little things nothing nothing's ever malicious it's a lot of it is more that they don't know stuff that they're saying and um they just want to be educated a bit more really um you know people don't know very much about judaism i think um unless you're brought up in a in a environment which has that um predominantly then you you wouldn't normally know about too much about it so a lot of it is is them asking questions um but i've never experienced any any myself um i've been at tottenham games i also follow tottenham a little bit where you you hear the the song um about yids and things like that um but that's tottenham singing that themselves as well so i think if you're gonna ask opposition fans to stop singing about it then i think one thing comes first you've got to get tottenham fans to stop singing about it yeah I mean, you've been in the game, you know, 10 plus years now. How much education have you and, you know, your teammates during that time had on anti-Semitism? Very, very little. Um, even on, on many discriminations, we might get one um, one little meeting in the season where, where someone comes in um, and speaks to us for half an hour, an hour, and that's it. I don't think there's there's very... Very, there's very few opportunities where, where everyone's come into us and um, speaking to the guys that kick it out where you know they said how such a tiny organisation it is that it's so difficult for them to get out to clubs and it's impossible to cover 92 clubs plus non-league clubs and things like that themselves so um, it's a case of how, how you go about doing things like this but I definitely think there needs to be more education on um, on anti-Semitism especially um, and that's not just players that's fans as well and and you know using the, the England example last week where I don't think too much has been said I think it's played behind closed doors if you ask most people on the street why that game was played behind closed doors I don't think they'd, they'd know why Not many not many to be honest I haven't really looked we've had the whole conversations when it comes to kind of colour and and all of that stuff but in terms of actual religion it's not really spoken about unless something's actually happened and then it's been brought to light um so, so in terms of that, nothing really. Look, all the players I've ever played with all know I'm Jewish, something I've never hid. Um, I've always been proud to say it. Um, but outside of that, really, some people are blinded and, and they don't really know much about in terms of religion itself. How many of your teammates, past and present, do you think could define anti-Semitism? I'd say maybe one in three. <laughs> one in three, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one. Like... If you ask people to to explain, like even the Jewish religion, to explain their definition of being Jewish, they they can't. They it's it's what they've been taught or or they've heard people say when they're young. Like you know, like I've had it where where I've said I was Jewish and, and players were, oh, but you're not wearing a kippah or you're not wearing a hat. Like to them, they didn't know what it was. So so they they kind of associate one with the other, and they didn't realise that you could be Jewish but not not be religious you know and that's across all religions not too many i don't think um i think a lot of them would have heard the word but not necessarily know what what it is and i think straight away if you if you said racism and everyone would know about it um or homophobia i think everyone would know about it but anti-semitism i don't think if a lot of these players haven't or or wouldn't have come across it in their careers then then they probably wouldn't think the need to to do anything about it, but it does happen. It's it's out there. So, um, yeah, I don't think many of them at all would know know too much about it. So, given these accounts, why are there so few Jewish players in the game? 
like I said, I've been asked this question many times: why there isn't more Jewish players playing? And it's, it's a difficult one to to kind of to kind of answer. But hopefully, I'd I'd like to think that there's there's going to be a few more. I know that um, the standing in the in the Jewish leagues is getting a lot better. Um, I've got friends there; my brothers played there, where I've gone to watch, and they take it really really seriously. And and there's players that are desperate to to make it in football. And I think there's more Jewish. Um, owners now in the Premier League, especially um, there's there's been a few managers coming over from Israel as well, um, and a few players that are playing in the Premier League from Israel. So hopefully, all that can can make it a lot more um, accessible for for young Jewish players to get in academies and, and make a career of it. Do you know what? It's hard because I, I've got a lot of kids here who you think you know you could go on and play in an academy, and I've seen it. Um, a lot of it's commitment. And it's not the commitment from, from the kid or the player because the, the, our dream as kids was always to be a professional. You know, you ask any of the kids here, most of them all want to be pros. I see you. That's their aim. But, you know, you ask parents, two parents who are in full-time work and who are in good positions and, you know, you tell them to miss three evenings a week and the two days on a weekend. Asking parents to do it four or five times a week is a big ask. And I think that's partly partly the issue. Um, I think the way our education is in the Jewish community, I think a lot of people follow follow the norm, which is go to school, go to uni. You know, a lot of them try and go down that route. A lot of people go into work, but I think a lot a lot of people do go into university. And you know, if you don't, you're not not frowned upon because you've gone into an industry which which is amazing. But you you look that in a different way. You know, you you're not following the norm. And, and for some people, it's easier to follow what everyone else does and, and think, you know, you come out of an education because at the end of the day, football's a big gamble. You know, like I've seen it. I played at a pro club. I was out of a pro club. Then I was back in. Then you're out. And then you're kind of playing semi-pro and you're working. I'm fortunate enough to build this. But other people I know who, who aren't, who are struggling, you know. So a lot of it comes down to the education your parents give you. And I think a lot of the parents in the community especially kind of push for them to be in education because it gives you a more stable future and career more than anything. I see. Kick It Out, campaigning for equality in football for 25 years. Thank you.